You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Here with my co-host, Tom McGrath. Tom, how you doing, brother? Um, not not amazing. Not as good as usual. I, yeah, I've, you I've, said um, when we talked, you kind of were sick or something, right? Yeah, I've injured my hip. So we did, we did a load of we did like seven hours training on Saturday, and uh-huh. I was teaching for it, most of that. What, we, what were you training? Before. What were you doing? Uh, JKD. Oh, how'd you hurt your hip? So we did we did loads of sparring, and I felt fine. Yeah. And then I woke up Sunday morning, and my left hip was stiff. Nice. And then. Um, it got worse and worse, and then Monday it was just like I could hardly walk and things like that. But I've, I've got greater trochanteric pain syndrome, which is about two to three <laughs> weeks of really? not being able to. And move how do they determine well. it's whatever the fuck it is? I said you have. I spoke to Asif, and like it's he knows that what he's talking like about. Broken your hip, and if you <laughs> if you've broken your hip, you wouldn't be able. So to you didn't break it. So, Aren't you a little young to be breaking your hip? Yeah, well, yeah, you're telling me. You're telling me. Right. Well, this is, I, I, I said to you, this is how I feel every day. <laughs> There's something achy and beat up and I can't move right. You just got to work this is around the worst. it. I've broken my ankle, ribs, knuckles, wow. and and my collarbone over the years. And this is the wor- the most painful since the collarbone. Yeah. I, I am on strong painkillers now. So nice. Well, don't abuse them, Tom. You know where that might lead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, true, true. True, true. well, that's good. And earlier we were talking real quick, and because I know I see every week on Facebook you go to the football games in the UK, and you said you that's bought right. season tickets. That's right, yeah, for the Arsenal, mighty Arsenal. The mighty Arsenal. Uh, they did their own hooligans too? Yeah, they're, they're less, less, not what they were back in the day, like 70s and 80s. It was real bad. Did, the hybrid gang was like the first hooligan firm. Gotcha. But. They've also been the first to sort of dissolve, probably. Right, right. We're more of a, more of a family club these days. How much? How much are the season tickets? Uh, probably about two thousand dollars. Way too much. Two thousand pa- pounds or euros or you dollars. guys are what? Dollars. Like you... one thousand three hundred pounds. Okay, so it's two thousand US dollars. Money. That's a shitload of yeah, money. How many games? Twenty six. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, and you go to every one. <laughs> I, I go to as many as I can, and I go try and go to the away games. That's a big thing over here because obviously our country's smaller. Right. It is, so you can get get on a train, have some beers, go go to the game. Right. Some people have a fight, not me. Right, right. I let yeah, right. Uh, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it sounds pretty exciting. I don't watch it really, and once in a while you catch something that might be interesting. It's just I'll take you to a game when you're next in line. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll be okay. So <laughs> <laughs> these. Are these the soccer version? Oh, well, let me introduce our guest. Here's our, our guest is, uh, let me so introduce tough. you officially, Snake. And there's a few other things I want to go. So our, fish, uh, our uh, special guest, an old friend of mine, Snake Blocker. I mean, this guy yeah, just has done absolutely everything. He was in, he'd been in the Army, been in the Navy. He's got numerous medals and ribbons. You know, he was a Muay Thai fighter, a kickboxer. Uh, he's got tons. Of, look, I can't even read the list. We'll be. It'll take up the whole fucking show. Tons of black belts in many different arts. Uh, he's a well-rounded martial arts. He actually starred in the show, The Deadliest Warrior. Now, who? Now, who did you fight? I forget who you the 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 Apaches fought. Uh, the gladiators. The gladiators. That was and that was on that show representing the gladiators with a couple other guys. You were representing the the Apaches, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. That would make sense. Why the fuck would you represent a gladiator? <laughs> but it was a great show. You can find that on YouTube and other things. He was also on the show, and I don't think you have this, it's a show Preppers, which was a great, pretty a pretty neat show about, like, the end of the world's coming and, like, how are you going to survive? It was kind of interesting. Yeah, you could check, look, if you want to check out. The end of the world is coming. Then, uh, <laughs> if you want to check out, it's www.snakeblocker.com. And uh, he, he's available for all kinds of things and tons of stuff. But real quick, before we got, I just wanted to uh, um, talk about where our show's in. You can listen to us every Saturday at 9 p.m. UK time, 9 p.m. U.S. time on Hamilton Radio. We can also be listened to on Spreaker, iHeart, iTunes, Sonos, YouTube. We have to put the shows back up because we're not doing live feed. Um, you said Stitcher was coming soon? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, would you, yeah. yeah, there's all Come these through. hoops you have to jump through to get these things and how they want the feed done. And Tom's been handling right. but It's a real pain in the ass, right, Tom? Especially when you're not very technical. Right, yeah. there you I'm, go. I'm, ba- I'm battling through it. Right. No, absolutely. Now, real, real quick before we gra- grab Snake is um, two things. I got the cage wall up at the gym, so I've got a 40-foot cage wall that is extending the end of the match, which is great. The guy said it took us like eight hours to put up a stupid wall. Um, yesterday... I had a meeting with the showboat in Atlantic City and kind of came to like a three-fight deal with them, which is a big deal. It's a, it's a casino down Atlantic City. So it, it brings me from being at the bottom of the food chain to the top in one fell swoop. So that was kind of, I, I'll fill you in on another time. But let's get, let's get, to, let's get to our guest. Um, as I said, Snake Block has been all over around. He's uh, full of information, an old friend. And Snake, welcome to uh, Primal Radio. Oh, thanks for inviting me. This has been a, a little bit in the making because I know you were sick last month, right. and then Tom broke his hip, and I know Tom puts a lot into this show, and you do, and I love your new studio. I always see pictures of it. And, <laughs> you, know, you just you just keep getting big, bigger and better. Bigger and better, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the stuff you do. No, you're great. I mean, he's, uh, so what do you now? Where do you you moved to? Where now? Where are you living? You're like in the Midwest somewhere. Yeah, so I wasn't. Well, I was in Los Angeles right. for like 35 years. In the last 11 years, I've been in Denver, and then in between all that, I lived in the Middle East and you know traveled all over, like you said. Right. And where are you living now? Denver, Colorado. Oh, you are in Denver for some reason. Yeah, I thought it was somewhere like Idaho or some shit like that. <laughs> no, I have a. Uh, my headquarters is now in Oberlin, Kansas, which is about an hour and a half outside of Colorado. Now that's all. That's not far yeah. at all. Now that's where you that's had about it. You had Tim Tackett there. About a three-and-a-half-hour drive from the Denver airport. Gotcha. So you had Tim Tackett there, right? Yep. He was just there this past summer. Right. He did his last ever out right. of state, which really, you know, Which really pissed me off because I wanted to have his last seminar. <laughs> so you beat me to the punch, motherfucker. <laughs> so I, Tim was on a lot longer ago. We, I asked him, well, if you want to do a – you know, do a seminar, you're always welcome. And because uh, I had him every year for now 10, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years, whatever. But then he's he's officially retired, you know. So so this place you have in Kansas, you got a teacher. What, what goes on at this place? So it's, it's my headquarters. So it's where I park all my cool stuff. So it's yeah, kind of yeah. like a martial art museum, basically. There's pictures of you up there. There's pictures of Hawk up there. Nice. You know, kind of like. All the seminars I've done over the last like twenty five right. plus years, yeah, right. Um, I have at least one picture of one of the seminars in the different states and countries. Wow! Um, you know, we got one wall dedicated to the whole military career, one wall for the Muay Thai and kickboxing, right? One other wall is savat dedication that I went kung fu and then hawk stuff. So it's kind of like you know, I, I ran out of room in my house, ah, so you had to buy a whole new place. When, I, <laughs> when, I, when my wife got, you know. We got married about six years ago almost right. now, and she's just like, are you going to do anything with all these frames? I'm like, yeah, let me just 
buy a building and put them yeah. all up. <laughs> Let so, me just go buy a house to put these know. pictures in. <laughs> so that's what we did. But we have a, um, it's three three stories up. Mm-hmm. So we got a full basement. We've got a main floor, and then we've got a top floor. So the basement has a professional boxing ring that I bought um, from a guy who had it. it. It fought professional fighters at the MGM in Las right. Vegas. So I have one of those uh, boxing rings downstairs, and I have an old speed bag from Daniel Stills. Jim, he's an nice. old, um, you know, World Boxing Hall of Famer. He's a ref, you know, still today, I believe. And he had his studio down in Vegas, so I bought one of his really antique speed bags. Uh, That's super giant cool. setup. Gigantic, is it a gigantic speed bag? Yeah, it's really, really, you know, the bag's a normal size, but the platform and the yeah. hoisting and the cranker is all old school, you know, That's cast awesome. iron. That's cool. And the main floor is more like my man cave, so that's where me and the senior instructors kind of just hang out. So when I drive there, I want to have decompress. So I've got a, uh, you know, early 1980s or late eight, uh, early 1990s, I guess, Street Fighter II pinball machine. Got, oh, that's you know, pretty the, cool. The old school Atari system in yeah. there. I've got, Ooh, nice. you know, commercial uh, air hockey in there. I've got a man. really nice uh, pool table with the red felt on it. Got the dartboard. So anything and everything man cave is, is right. in that place. And that's like my office, my uh, martial art book museum, libraries there, um, mm-hmm. videos galore, lots that of Hawk cool. stuff. I got all, I got all your videos that you did with Hawk. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I, so, I saw, I saw you've got a kind of a plaque for all the kind of famous martial artists that visited your place and Tim yes. Tackett got his name engraved there. Is that, um, who, who, who's the kind of the big names that you're, you're proud to have hosted? So either hosted or they came in, uh, host, uh, along with some other people as special guests or to tour my facility. So Dan and Asanto, you know, Bruce Lee's first generation sure. students. We had, uh, Richard Bastillo may rest mm, in peace. Rest Ted Wong may rest right. in peace. Yeah. Uh, Joe Allen just passed away right. the last month here. Rest in peace. Uh, Tim Tackett. So those are the big names in the JKD, you know, community. Uh, and then a lot of second generation, third generation JKD people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a couple of Filipino stick and knife fighting people in there. We've got, um, uh, Savat Fox Clancy people, you know, that came through. Uh, there's not a whole lot of silver gloves out there. So we got like Nikolai Signak. We've mm-hmm. got, um, Rod K, three-time world champion kickboxer, first American to beat a Savat in the french soil you know down there in paris oh, yeah. um so some really cool names i'm proud of some of them you know aren't as well known unless you're in that martial art community right it's a small uh, little niche community. yeah it's kind of yeah. cool no it is kind of cool now where did you grow up snake grew up in los angeles so all my tribe is out in uh, texas area corpus christi mm-hmm. mostly area and a lot of them are still down there that's my parents that's where my mom was born grandparents and all that was so down they there. moved your parents moved to la yeah. Were so you my born already, or were you born in L.A.? Born in L.A. I got you. So they moved out off the yeah. off the, the place in Texas and moved to L.A. Yeah, they got married in Corpus Christi, Texas, right. and then they. Uh, my dad was a Marine, so he ended up in Kemp Pendleton. Oh, down that's there, okay. Okay, side gotcha. area. Yeah. So that's the connection, and they he ended up after the Marine Corps. He was just there for a short time, you know, one quick tour uh, during yeah. the '60s, and then he basically bought a house in Los Angeles and just ended up being there for forever. Seemed like and. It was nice growing up there, but have no interest of going going back. You know, it's yeah. just, just congested. It's different. I think a lot of people feel that way about their hometown. <laughs> no, no. Um, with, with your with your name, um, I think in the UK people be less familiar with some of the um, Apache culture and traditions. So I read somewhere that um, the snake element means that you have to have come into contact with. Uh, venom uh so how, how about how did how did you come to get the name snake blocker 
It's a pretty cool so name. So for our tribe, yeah, different tribes, uh, even within the Apaches, there's different tribes and symbolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an email from somebody the other day, and he's like, uh, hey, what's my uh, – I have some Cherokee background. What's my animal spirit? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm not Cherokee. <laughs> You know, he's like, he's like, I know, I know you're, he's like, I know you're Apache, not Cherokee, but I'm like, well, you know, oh, I said, that's like, that's funny. The, the Cherokees are different culture than the Apaches. The Apaches within their own culture are different, depends uh-huh. on what tribe you're from. So right. uh, I'm part of the Lipan Apache tribe. Of Lipan, Texas. Lipan Apache. means the light gray people. Uh, gotcha. It also uh, talks about, because we used to take clay and camouflage yourself with this light clay. Oh, uh, that's from why the Texas the Plains gotcha. in the cool. northern Mexico. Right. So that's kind of where that derives from. Nice. Uh, the snake and our cult represents as you visualize as you watch a snake in the in the wild at some point they mature and they they grow larger and they have to shed out of their old skin and so they actually shed the skin they never look back in nature or examine their own skin they're always advancing forward from that point that's pretty cool so the the shedding of the skin is your different stages in life and so the apache goes through the adolescence and the warrior phase and the, the elder stage and shaman stage and all that wherever their life takes them in their journey each of the journey individually is a shedding of the skin. Yeah, it's your great. lessons learned. It's you becoming wisdom. A snake in the wild, after it sheds its skin, it's always going to be more vibrant, more more healthy. Uh, it's going to have a clearer eyesight and a, a different focal vision point. And that's kind of what it symbolizes for my name. Well, that's great. That's, I say that's who would cool. know that. That's pretty cool. Now, when you grew up in L.A., um, were you like the only – Indian kid around? Did you know? Did your parents raise you with the tradition and introduce you to it, or was that kind of just left to the side? They tried to they tried to integrate us as much into the culture that we were around at mm-hmm. the time, more of the Caucasian communities. Right, so you were uh, all white kids, more farm for the most part, yeah. you know. And then uh, how'd that you know, work out? Totally duress. It was uh, not as good, you know. You wanted to because <laughs> we were also a lot of times private taught. Right. Um, we were either homeschooled or homeschooled. private schooled. You know, right. I only had like two years of public school. Um, the, the bad part about private schools, at least from my experience, is typically it's the, the higher class, the more rich people that were going to it. Right. So uh, not only was I a different culture, different upbringing, I was yeah. also a different and military family, kind of really strict upbringing. And just my whole worldview was different from their worldviews. I mean, they right. were the ones that. Yeah, hang out with them and they're talking. They know every name of every baseball player and every, you know, I'm just like, I'm listening to them. I have no interaction. I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh-huh. I don't know what <laughs> sports they're talking about. I don't know what people they're talking about. Right. And so it, there was a big disconnect with the really, uh, you know, relating to the, that group. And they were they were going out surfing. They were going out to the mountains, the oceans. I'm like, I was just this poor kid. as like, you know, we pretty much stayed in our little area and played football on the street, right. you know, and just rode the bike and did what we wanted to do. We weren't really doing these team sports stuff. Mm. No, that's, that's pretty. So when did well, you said something interesting? Cause it brought back a memory. You said playing football on the street. Cause I originally grew up, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, which is, you know, not the nicest of places. And I grew up in North Jersey for the first 10 years or so of my life. And we used to play football on the street all the time. Cause there was no parks mm-hmm. or anything around. And you know you're dodging and going through cars. As you play. It's a pretty yeah. interesting game because you can really get fucked up when you run into a parked car trying to catch a football. But people mm-hmm. more the country won't realize that. But that's funny. I never, I haven't thought about that in years. But anyway, when did you start? Um, when were you introduced to martial arts? What was your first martial art? 
so luckily you know i was always around in our neighborhood there was always be somebody that either was taking class or mm-hmm. there was some instructor nearby at the community center or the church or whatever so i was as as long as i could remember there was always a martial art person around me whether yeah. it's a fellow student or whatever and so I, I was always picking you know if, if we're gonna we're done playing football and we just want to do something indoors hey teach me that punch hey teach me that you know and you're fascinated with all the back then you probably remember it but it was the kung fu theater no oh, yeah every saturday they had some cheesy oh terrible movie. english english dubbed right you know sword fighter or one-armed bandit or you know you know it's, it's the old school version of jackie chan and jet right. Li type movies that were really poor special effects and a lot of um, acrobat stuff and flying around and you know you're a kid you believe all that shit you know you, you, right. you're like okay wow i want to learn martial arts but i want to fly up in that tree i want to, learn martial <laughs> arts, I want to do 20 backflips and kick somebody and and stop a sword with my hands you know right. so you believe all that shit and i'm like shit i want to i got to learn that stuff and you know you, you, like any other kid you know growing up in la you know you're bullied a lot you know and you have to yeah. defend yourself and you know it was up to me to to stand up for myself you're, so you're, you were a small small kid i imagine right i mean Yes, yeah, little scrawny kid. And, little scrawny kid. You know, I was too, which surprises people I was quite cool. honestly. But I was a titty scrawny kid. Then I learned how to eat and grow. But uh, so yeah, so that makes it different, right? You're different. You're a different culture. You're skinny. You're an easy victim, I guess. You know, easy kid for them to pick you out of the crowd and start shit with you, right? Sure, but you know, even as a kid, I remember like, and I tell people all the time, people don't change. You know, your mentality, your worldview, the stuff you liked when you were right. a kid. It's going to it's going to be with you the rest of your life. You know, I like playing army when I was a kid, you know, joined the military as an adult. You know, I love shooting funny. as a kid. I love shooting as an adult. I love knives as a kid, loved them as an adult, loved learning about <laughs> cultures and history, loved as an adult, liked the same women. You know, the teachers I liked back then and the women I liked that were growing up and I was a little kid, I still like the same type of women today. You know, so for the most part, you know, I think as a kid, we we intuitively build up our character for the rest of our lives. And if you're you know, if, if you're a go-getter and you realize, hey, I got to be tough as a kid, that stays with you the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. Great point. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, so, so you just did a little bit of stuff. What was it? Was, did you go to an official school ever for the karate? So we did. Um, yeah, going back to that question. So American yeah. karate was what they called it back then. Yeah. And it was self-defense, and it was the stuff we still see. You know, we kind of laugh about it now because it was like the elbow, backhand, right. hit the growing. You know, step on the toe. You know, you know <laughs> one kill shot. You hit him in the head, and the fight's over. You know, kick him in the groin, yeah. the fight's over. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. kick him in the shin, the fight's over. So, you know, we heard a lot of that as a kid, and you believe it as a kid, and you go through that. And then I transitioned from there to um, uh, kung fu, which I really enjoyed. Really, what kind of kung, kung fu, fu had, did you do? It was it was more. I don't remember the names of it back then because they. I don't even remember mm-hmm. the names on the boards would say kung fu, and that's all right, I that's remember all you as a care, kid. Right? But it was more of the animal systems, the tigers yeah. and the cranes, and mm-hmm. you know the low horse stance, a hunger sure. type influence. So it was more of a uh, choi li fought long fist sequence, a little bit of the wushu later on. And I always kind of gravitated toward the kung fu more than the other stuff. But I did the taekwondo for a while as a sport right. stuff, just because. Taekwondo attracted me because I'm like, okay, you can move up a little bit quicker and you can do a little more sparring and a little bit more about flexibility. Right. So, you know, going going from when I was a kid and now all the different martial arts that I've seen people do and, and practice, you know, I love – there's always an aspect of all of them that I love and that's applicable. You just got to – if you're like me and you have 
you know, low tolerance for spending too much time repeating the drill. As soon as they start repeating drills too many times or saying this is the best move or this is the only right. move, then I, then I get distracted. I'm like, all right, time to, time to find something time else or a different on. instructor. Right, now here. I actually had um, uh, year, a life, Jesus Christ, who knows, 30 years ago, there was a, uh, I don't know if he, he a, a, an animal, a kung fu guy in a, in a town over. And it was real strict. It was weird. It was this white guy and he had um, a grill like a brass grill on his teeth, which kind of looked kind of like Mike Tyson has done. Some rappers might do, you know, to see this regular yeah. white guy with a grill look a little strange. But um, but I only went for a little bit of time, maybe a week or two. My buddy had stayed with him. But it was very strict and very, you know, all these moves, like you said, and didn't throw a punch. My, my buddy at the time had said it was like a year before he threw a punch. He was just working forms. And I thought, wow, that's a... A lot of time to be wasting. <laughs> Nothing against kung fu, but maybe you should learn to throw a punch earlier on. But it was, it was something that just didn't work for me. It does work for others. It's popular in certain niches here and stuff. And then, so what did you get to the? Um, when did you get to the Muay Thai? When did that happen? Because I mean, you, you were a Muay Thai champion and a kickboxing champion. Did you go to Thailand and learn? Or did you just kind of pick it up and just? How'd that happen? So, so it started. There was this one karate instructor, and he he was uh, American kickboxer. So that's yeah. what he wore. You know, the full length sweats. Oh, I, I wore those. So yeah, it's a good look. Yeah. So this is when I was like a teenager, and uh, I remember him. His name, last name was Johnson, and he had some title. I don't remember if it's a state title or world title. And so I go to his class. He's like, "Yeah, you need to learn kickboxing and more full contact." I'm like, "Yeah, I agree." And he had this old leather bag. And he's like, "All right." He's like, "Your first lesson, I would I want you to kick it." And he's just like, "Keep kicking it. Keep kicking it." And I'm thinking, well, when, when am I going to stop? Because this bag is like hurting me after a while, you know, and I'm barefoot. Right. I'm, I'm slamming it with my in the steps. And, you know, I, it, now my, my foot is going raw. Now it's bleeding on the bag. Now oh. it's like literally, he's like, okay, do the other side. And I'm, <laughs> like, you gotta be, I, I'm thinking, you got to be shitting me. And you don't say anything because, you know, he's the, he's the master and he right. knows what he's doing. And I'm, I'm trying to be tough. You know, I, I'm thinking, yeah, I got some fundamental background and mm -hmm. I want to kind of get into the sport. And literally, my my feet were raw. The whole instep in the shins sure. for been... like a couple weeks. And I said, I don't know if I don't know if that's the best approach for me at this level. And so I, I kind of like drawn away from it. I'm like, I want to learn kickboxing because that's definitely tough. But you know, I need there has to be a better way than just beating the crap out of your skin. Right. And now I can't kick for two weeks. And then um, in '93. You know, I had done, like I said, I've done some of the Jeet Kune Do stuff and I've done some of the other stuff. And there's aspects of the kickboxing in there. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was, I was managing a gym. Uh, it was back, back then Nautilus Rovix Plus and then eventually Bally's Bottom Out. And they were called Bally's Nautilus Rovix Plus and Bally's Health and Tennis Corporation and Bally's Total Fitness. And now they're nothing. Right. But during Can't that transition found. period, I was managing one of the clubs in Torrance, California. And one of the trainers that was working there, he was a three-time world champion kickboxer, you know, flyweight, uh, Rod K. And he was fighting during you know don wilson dragon days and benny uh -huh. the jet and all those great guys uh he's originally from washington so you know he's teaching me he's like he's like kickboxing i, I say yeah, i want to learn kickboxing but you know the guys that were teaching me before they they just want to beat the crap out of you you know i said i need to learn the right way so right. Oh, yeah, i'll teach you so anyway um he just got me like full on into kickboxing and you know i just love the fact that man this little guy who's even smaller than I was is, is able to sweep me is able to kick me in the face. You know, I'm dropping my hands and he's teaching me skills. He's like, here's your mistake. Let's fix that. And he was just let me make mistakes. Uh -huh. And then he, he'd teach by fixing those errors. And then yeah. he's like, Hey, you should, you should compete to really know what it feels like. Oh, to get cool. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like good. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm, I'm relating to the Kaiju Kimbo and open karate tournaments and like point fighting in and out, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, go a couple rounds with a couple people. 
So in my head, that's kind of what I was, even though I knew it was full contact, I was kind of thinking it'd be about the same difficulty. But then he gives me the flyer and he's like, here's the flyer for the event we got you signed up for. And it was this picture of this Thai guy just jumping up and kneeing this dude in the face, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, man, if that's a promotion, I'm like, now, now I'm getting nervous, you know? Right. Like, what did I sign up for? And I go there and, you know, I, 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 I felt okay about it, but I, my, my cardio just sucked. It was like my third round. I'm like, all right, that's, that's about all I've got out of me. I'm kind of gassed mm-hmm. out about probably 20 seconds before I should have been gassed out at the third round. And so he's like, okay, well, here's what we got to work on. Here's the video. And I'm like, man, I made a lot of mistakes. And then from there, it forced me to want to get better. So each fight, I'm like, well, that was my first fight. At least I know what to expect. Right. You know, I'm going to start improving. As long as I improved 1% better each fight, sure. you know, I don't care if it takes me multiple years to get there, you know. Yeah, think- so that was my mindset. Right. I'm just like, as long as I'm better and I don't look as bad as this first fight, you know. Right. And so that's kind of where it progressed to. And just, you know, one fight's better, one fight's better. Okay, now you got this title. Okay, you can get this title. Now you're, you know, now you're going pro. So I fought enough amateur where, you know, everybody started to notice me in the uh, Los Angeles area. Because back then it was like Whittier, California, where all the uh, kickboxing fights were, uh-huh. Hollywood and um, was it El Monte. And they were like highly Hispanic areas. So there'd be a lot of Hispanics fighting. And the people from the boxing community started doing the kickboxing at that time. So, you know, that, that, that led to like 10 years of consistent, you know, every week pretty much you're either hard sparring or fighting in some type of event. Yeah, well, and you, when you went back, you back to your first, when you first went in the ring, I think people, like when they first come into my gym, I like imagine what they do, and they overestimate their skill set. Oh, I can't, I've been in the hundreds, you know, whatever it is, and, and they tell you how bad they are, and, and then they come in, don't realize, you know, maybe they run a lot or they've done a tough mud or something, they don't realize the absolute exhaustion you experience being in that ring, throwing punches and kicks. They drastically underestimate that. They think they're in shape, and there's a big difference, as you know, from being in you know regular shape or being in fight shape. Um, it's probably the most one of the most important things. I mean, even if you can outwork your opponent, if you have similar skills, you'll just out, out-hustle them. And you just, and I discovered that, too, in my first fight in the ring. I, I couldn't believe the first round goes off, and we're going toe-to-toe. It was a, a fucking brawl. And I go back to my corner, and all of a sudden here, seconds out. I'm like, what? It's like five, like two seconds went by. I was like, there couldn't have been a minute. I mean, I have to go back out there and fight some more. It was completely shocking to me how quick it went. Mm-hmm. And it's almost just like a blurry, it was almost like a blurry dream because you, you, you're standing in front of, you know, five, I was, I think, 500 people or something like that and really don't have a great memory of the crowd, the noise, and what was going on. And I remember getting out of the um, I lost my first fight. Um, it was the guy's hometown, his gym. I thought it was a pretty even fight. Bad. What I don't give a shit. But I, um, I was exhausted. You know, getting out of the ring and trying trying to get changed was, a, <laughs> and drive home two and a half hours. You know, was a, you know, a nightmare. But anyway, I forgot to show that. But so after the Muay Thai, you did. You got involved in Savat. You got involved in. Uh, how did you go back? Because really, what's probably fascinating, what's most, is your your of course your Apache roots. And and how did you go back and tap into that where you came from and your family and your history and your ancestors? Well, kind of going back. So so early on, it was that American karate, then transitioned to kung mm-hmm. fu, then taekwondo, then right. back to kung fu. And the guy who told, uh, I told you about, Rod K, he's. Um, his background was Kung Fu originally and then right. judo simultaneously. And then he transitioned to the kickboxing kind of by chance. Cause they needed people in his weight division. He was a Kung Fu guy. He's like, yeah, I guess you need my weight. I'll do kickboxing. So he got kind of thrown into it and realized he was really good at it, but he was primarily American kickboxing. Yeah. Now 
that I had to meet. I had to train when, when I started getting doing pretty decent in American kickboxing. And then the Muay Thai people are it's getting more popular in the states, especially California. So they're like, "Hey, we want you to do Muay Thai now." Okay, well, what's what's it been? Oh, elbows and knees. And Rod had fought Muay Thai, but he didn't train formally in Muay Thai. So he's like, "Okay, we got to get your elbows and knees up to up to par." Because we were going to Mexico and we were fighting. You know, a little bit different rules out there on the Muay Thai side. You got more flexibility with the elbows in, in those countries. Um, and then. I, my speed still wasn't there because Muay Thai, you know, it's more precision and you're trying to power into it, though. So it's actually slower in motion than the American kickboxing, where right. it's a little bit more like in and out, in and out. And then when I started taking Savat Box Francais um, at the Inasano Academy with Nikolai Sagnac and we started doing private training, the speed of which going in and out that the Savat people were doing and demonstrating with helped me. So I wasn't even doing well in Muay Thai until I added the Savat aspect to it. That's because the speed yeah. and the trainings were totally different. Right. It is. So I'm a big proponent to you know everybody learning savat just because of that speed factor and like bruce lee said he's like you know they have shoes on we wear shoes outside and that's why bruce lee actually preferred the savat over the muay thai as oh, well is that right? yeah, I didn't know that. um yeah and then as far as the the apache culture so at one point actually at this around the same time that i started picking up the kickboxing and building up my jikido curriculum mm-hmm. uh, i met this gal who had the same uh, maiden name as my mother Apricio, mm-hmm. and um, she started talking, she was really grounded into her Apache roots. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I know we're Apache, but I haven't done anything with like the research. And she's like, well, you should do it. And, you know, here's some contacts. And she gave me like a couple small leads. And then just little by little, um, I started bumping into people just in my travels that were, uh, had descendants and or descendants of the Apaches and had some familiarity, familiarity with the cultures. And I'm like, you know, this is stuff that I don't read about in books. I'm going to start writing this down. So I started writing down the history from, you know, real world experience from real people that their grandparents taught them this, or this was a symbolism they learned, or this was a tactic they learned, or a recipe, or whatever. And I just started collecting a big stack of notepads. I'm like, I, I need to put this in format of a book at some point. And then as I started asking people around, one guy is talking about how yeah. Did, did you find? Go ahead. Did Did you find it hard to research, Snake? Because um, I, I can imagine with. I can imagine it being one of the more difficult things to research. You know, there there aren't millions of people, you know, with, with the Apache roots that were warriors and would know the detail, and there probably aren't millions of books on it. So did you, you know, um, I recently learned that word, a hopologist, for the, the person who studies martial arts and the martial arts history. Did you, did you find it a challenge um, to do that with the Apache fighting methods? So what I noticed is as I started reading more books on Apache, there was actually more Apache books than another tribe, say the uh, Lakota Sioux. So it seemed like there was more Apache books than mm-hmm. other tribes just because of historically they came across them a lot more. Um, and then everybody had a different story. You know, everybody, some, some person's talking about it might be a French perception of the Apaches or a Dutch or an English or a German or a Spaniards. So it was kind of nice to start first gathering information about Apaches tied into somebody's history book from an outsider's perspective. And then every so often I come across a small book or writing from an Apache talking about their history from their perspective. And then when I started talking to the people individually, little by little, um, I realized there's a whole different history that's just not put in because a lot of times the history books that you read about that are well published are chronological order in in 1868. This is what happened in this battlefield on this trail, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was a very, it was more about that specific event versus it really wasn't about what, what's their culture about? What are their beliefs? What are their religions? What do they, you know, what do they do for clothing, for food? 
uh, were, were the different? Do they prefer living in teepees or wiki ups or do they actually <laughs> What's have a wiki, what'd you call buildings that? or a strip? What's wiki a wiki? Up, so those are just, uh, it's like a dome, almost like a sweat lodge type oh, setting okay. where you see the old school sweat lodge. It's just a bunch of branches yeah. kind of meshed together in a half dome shape with um, usually, you know, bison fur over it to kind oh, of keep, wow. keep it secure. Or it'll be an actual structure that's kind of half into the side of a precipice and then it's kind mm-hmm. of sheltered out so it's a basically a stick version with skin version of a tent not very big but still circular right Um, not as high pitched as a teepee Um, but anyway as i started talking to more and more people you know since i traveled like all over the place and a lot of times you kind of tell if a person native or they start talking or you go to the powwows and i just focus i tune in on just the apaches i don't want to spend a lot of time with the other tribes and learn about their history i just want to meet the apaches that i bump into and find out their culture so it was a time consuming but i really wasn't in a rush i'm like hey if i come across people i'm going to write them down and then somebody would talk about how they learned this wrestling technique from their grandfather that was passed down to them and it was in the culture you know it was a very wrestling culture society or clan and another one uh, talk about so the, the, the apaches have like competitions and they, they don't have competitions. No, did they? Back in the they, past, back, they just have two back, guys got wrestling. Back then, they did. They had yeah. competitions as far as in the form of games. Mm-hmm. So they had like wrestling. They had a, a series of games, and one would be a wrestling match with gotcha. with the Apaches. One would be a running match. There'd be multiple layers. Like of the it. Olympics, it was, right? It was yeah. A, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was as building up the endurance and yeah. the stamina for hunting, and then that transition to actually fighting men or hunting men so you know it took about 20 years before i had really enough information that wasn't just culture there's also culture based on uh fighting aspects or weapons aspects of the culture and i said by then by like 1995 i had had enough information i'm like i need to start teaching this to other apaches that's what that's kind of where it started in 95 now how did were were there any i'm sorry go ahead tom go tom go Um, were there any things that really surprised you in that journey? Like, oh, I, I didn't realize they do this. You know, did you find it? You learned loads about your culture that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise known um, and, and the fighting techniques thereof. I did. So, Snake, was it difficult to research Apache culture given, you know, it, there aren't millions of Apaches around the world. There aren't millions of books. Um, how did you find that process? Well, I started with reading the books that were published. Um, the problem with those is they were Apache information that was kind of thrown into a history account of, you know, one battle that wasn't the primary battle of the Apaches. So there's only a few books out there that were specific to the Apaches battling each other or battling, you know, other tribes or, or the whole book being about a battle tactic. So there was very few and far between. And typically those books were collections from several books put into one on the researcher's point of view. Uh, however, there was very few, there was even less books available for Apache culture or tactics uh, written by actual Apaches. So that took a little bit of time. The good part is that at least there's more Apache recorded history than most tribes out there in uh-huh. the U.S. history accounts, which was the good part. And then the second thing I do, so after you collect as much as you can from that information, then just as I met more and more Apaches, and I, I actually pursued them and interviewed them and said hey let's tell me about any of the history any of the songs any of the dances whatever you can tell me and then over time that ended up being somebody showing me a wrestling drill that his uh, grandparents taught him and another guy talked about uh the knife technique that that one of their elders taught them using sticks and branches and another one talked about Mm. these games that they were playing as far as skill set drills and some of them correlated to skill set drills for hunting and stealth technology for that. 
and then it kind of applied to more modern stories about them using that in the battlefields. And it, it didn't stop just with the Old West, you know, in U.S. history. It kept pursuing. I started finding out the history about Apaches that fought in Vietnam War, Apaches that fought in World War One, World War Two, those types of things. And then what what are they actually doing as modern soldiers? That because obviously it had to be been taught to them, and it wasn't being taught to them from the military. So anyway, 20 years later, you know, 15, 20 years later, then I had an accumulation of crossovers between legends and history that were taught as kids to tactics we use when we're hunting or fishing or whatever. And then also the correlation between that and actual battle tactic applications. Um, it goes back to, you know, if you if you had to cut a deer open, you know, that's the, that's the slicing technique, and then they applied the same slicing technique when they went into battle against people. When you stab the heart of a, a small prey, it's the same thing as stabbing the heart of a person. When you're trying to be quiet and evade to catch a turkey or to catch a deer, you have the same exact evasion and, and stealth techniques when you're actually hunting human or, or escaping humans. Hmm. So, so we're talking much more like, a, I guess, the martial side that... We're not really talking about art. We're talking about combatives, the, the, you know, the Apaches. This was all practical purposes, yeah, hunting, stuff. killing, defending yourself. Correct. And what's nice about it, too, and I, it, it, my, my original goal was, was just to collect information on Apache culture. So I understand some of my Apache cultures and being a Lipan Apache, kind of what the differences are with some of the stories from the Hickory Apache or the Chiricahua Apache or the Tonto Apaches or San Carlos Apaches or whatever and seeing what's similar and what's not similar. Um, and then in that process, I realized, oh, shoot, I'm actually learning. These are techniques that they've applied even in modern history, and these mm. are some of the stories they're still telling. These are some of the dances they're still doing. These are some of the applications they're still integrating into their culture, unbeknownst to them that these are passed down battle tactics. Wow, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Now, the thing that you had uh, that you'd done that really I, I thought was great was you had – as I mentioned earlier on when we had you show, you did a show called The Deadliest War, The Deadliest War, and that show essentially, uh, they would pit, you know, two um, societies, you know, what it would be, you know, uh, the Romans versus um, you the know, Vikings. samurai or something like that. What's that? The Vikings. I the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything. And, and then, you know, the guys would... Essentially, the idea was to show you you'd, you'd use your weapons and your battle tactics and your strategy. You talk to these guys. They entered it in some kind of computer program, right? Snake and Mike Clear, right? And then they just kind of determined at the end of it if you won or lost. Is that essentially how the show worked? Correct. And the evolution, kind of going even even to the premise. So, the uh, owners, producers, and the directors of Morningstar Entertainment out yeah. of the Burbank, California area, they pitched the idea to. Um, you know, Spike TV, Animal Planet, National mm-hmm. Geographic. Long story short, Spike TV picked it up at the first pipe. You know, right. And Morningstar kind of had control over it, but it was still a um, it was a format where when you're kids and you're talking to your friends and they like the Vikings and other people like the ninjas and, you know, you guys talk to each other like kids talk and one boy says to the other boy, you know, Vikings are the best warriors. And they yeah. say, no, 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 no. <laughs> You know, uh, ninjas are the best warriors, and another says that Spider-Man can beat up Superman. No, Superman can beat up Spider-Man. <laughs> and it, it started, that's kind of how the concept started. Yeah, it's a great concept. And so based on, <laughs> and everybody relates to it, which is the cool part. You know, everybody has their favorite lawyer. And so they just took it to the next level and said, hey, there's real warriors, there's real superheroes, so to speak, out there that have done great things as a, as a warrior society. Yeah. Let's 
start gathering history of what warrior cultures are out there because there's thousands when you look at it in, in past history and let's find different time frame warriors and pit them against each other mm-hmm. and then they got a, a, a software company to do you know based on x factors yeah. and weapon strength and skill sets to kind of create a game plan where the best of if they simulated a thousand battles who would who would win most of those battles and that would be the champion right so it started really loosely and then they they picked so many weapons because some cultures had multiple weapons sure. some had only a few, so they said well let's just focus on you know short range weapon a mid-range weapon a long range right. weapon and let's kind of put things on a, an even playing ground um however that well, how did they said, find so you we or did you gladiators. Fi- snake how'd they find you so they called me up. Um, Basically, I don't they hunted you down. Called me. Yeah. Yeah. And the good part is uh, there's only so many Apaches out there. And there's, <laughs> there's less Apaches that are. There's a lot of us Irish. Are, uh, his, yeah. There's, uh, and there was less out there that were actually, you know, had a weapon. Killed enough. Had yeah, yeah. Or had some contact information. And then they looked at, from there, they said, okay, how many Apaches can we get a hold of? How many of them have any history background? How many of them have any fighting background right. or, you know, knowledge of bow and arrow and stuff like that? And they kind of read one of my bios, and it was, they, they, they narrowed it down to, like, three people. And wow. then uh, one of them was in prison. One of them was <laughs> an actor already. And, and then there was me, who was obviously already teaching Apache culture. And yeah, they're, yeah. they're saying, well, everything looks good on the bio. It looks like you've been doing stuff since 95. You're one of our top pick. However, you know, the, the people that pay the bills, they want to see what you look like on camera because you could have, you know how it is, Jim. You could have a guy who's an awesome martial artist. And you put a camera in front of them and they freeze up. They, don't they freeze up. Say. Sure, they, don't, sure. they don't look at the camera. Right. They don't have charisma. So they said, hey, we want you to come down to Burbank, California and do like a little fight demo. Because um, I sent them a little bit of something They're like, well, we want a little bit more, we want a little more live action because we also don't want anything like really pre prep. We want to see how spontaneous you are. So they're like, just come up with something and come down here. So the whole show was like that. It was just like, you come up with something and we'll film it and see if we like it. Right. So that's kind of how, because we we're the first episode. No, it hadn't been. And was it that first episode? So I, I didn't realize down. that. And you and the Apache fought the gladiators. That's correct. Wow. Okay. Yep. And they were so their their weapons were like the Sika, the the trident. You know, they had yeah. the curved sword. They had the you know the the punching gloves with the spike. Which and, is pretty you know, cool. And tried in high combo. <laughs> yeah, all the Warriors have pretty cool stuff. That's right. Liddell, wasn't um, Chuck Liddell so on that show? Chuck Liddell was on that, yeah. Yeah, he's the so one who punched with the spike. Be, yep. And he was kind of a last thrown in. He wasn't part of the original script. Right. Um, Steve Dietrich, and there was a couple, a couple of the guys that were the gladiators. One of them was a sparring partner and a friend of Chuck Liddell's, and he says, hey, I could get Chuck Liddell on the show. And they're like, yeah, bring him on. Sure. So, that worked out nice, and it worked out nice for us being the first episode. No doubt. So, anyway, I go, I go to Burbank, California, and I'm meeting with some of the some of the guys that have the camera out, and they're like, well, where do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, let's just do it in the parking lot. So there's an underground parking structure, and there's cars, there's Mercedes-Benz, and BMWs all around it. And they're like, okay, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, let's just start with this. So I, I pulled out a, uh, you know, a knife, and I started willing it around, and then I started uh, took a tomahawk, and I started throwing it around, and then I started uh, – doing bow and arrow shots and I'm doing all this in between a parking lot in between these very expensive cars and <laughs> I'm breaking shit you know I'm, I'm breaking I'm breaking weapons that I'm bringing because I'm showing them what it, you know this is how it's going to explode in the person's brain and right. uh, and then we filmed a little bit more inside the hallway and then I you know at one point I took this uh, rock so I was talking about the, the rock throwing techniques and I threw it like list just inches away from the camera so it gets kind of a face on and it just shatters like right there in the railing of the uh, 
you know, the, the step area that we're doing the film in. So basically everywhere I was at, I was just causing mayhem and, and destruction, you know, all around me, and, you know, dinging up their hallways and everything. That's fine. But they loved it, and they're like, all right, you're in. And so that's kind of how I got the part in Deadliest Warrior. Nice. So what were your what were your weapons? You had the knife, the tomahawk, you had the bow yeah, and the arrow. Bow and arrow. Yeah, and you were look, I, and you were really skilled. I mean, you were you were doing some tremendous stuff with that. It was pretty pretty neat. It was pretty impressive. So and the show it was a great show. It was an excellent yeah, yeah. show. I really, I mean, if you want to check it out, I know it's on YouTube. It's probably on demand somewhere. Uh, but Snake did a great job representing the Apache. Now the Apache won that one, did they not? They did. And one thing that a lot of the listeners may not know, um, I've talked about it in other interviews, um, but the average person doesn't know it. So they, when we're filming it, we're filming it in sections. You know, they're saying, okay, at 2 o'clock, Snake, you're going to do this weapon. We're like, all right, do we get to practice? Well, go in the basement and throw stuff around. All right, well, you're giving us gel gel torsos, and I want to practice on what I'm actually going to demonstrate on. No, 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 these gel torsos are like $3,000 each. These skulls are $300 each. You can't wow. It's a one-shot, one-take. That's it, you know. So I'm like, all right, Ooh, well, we don't pressure. know how, we don't know ourselves how it's going to react, and we don't right. know, you know, so how, what they exactly yeah. want to see, and if we miss it. Yep. So that was a little bit nerve wracking because we really did. Me and Alan Tapoya, my counterpartner, he didn't really know. But anyway, they, there's part of the half the show is also at the end where they do like a summary and they're doing a reenactment of a of one of many battles. And the actors, I talked to one of the actors afterwards who was portraying one of the Apaches, and I said, uh. I said, did you guys know who won, like, based on what you're doing? And they're like, no, they didn't tell any of the actors doing the summary uh, show either. They had them film the Apaches winning, and then they had the same exact scene with the Gladiator winning, and they did that with all of their scenarios. Mm-hmm. And they would film me doing a tactic, then Alan and a couple of the Apaches, or Gladiators, doing their technique. Right. But we, and we're seeing bits and pieces, but nobody has any idea oh, yeah, what yeah, yeah. that computer software is going to turn out. But we actually told him, we're like, if you don't, you know, based on the shit you saw us do and half the stuff you didn't have time to, to show on the film, mm-hmm. I said, you know, we're going to, you know, you're, you're going to have an entire nation that <laughs> you if the Apaches <laughs> don't win. They're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, this is good software. Uh, but, yeah, no, nobody knew who was going to win until right. the day before it aired, and that's when they actually showed us the final clip. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Now, it looked like on the show, I want to get to some other things, but real quick, it looked like on the show there was some animosity between you guys and actual gladiators. They so were talking smack to each other. Was was that real or was that a little bit of acting? So there, there's mostly real, but the uh, – first we're trying to be nice to each other. Right. And then the producers like, like, dude, you're, you're enemies. You guys are representing an enemy culture, and you are physically in battle against the Apaches. Is that how you're going to talk to them? And he's like, don't don't cover it up he's like say whatever you want to say if if it's not appropriate we'll cut it out you know and alan started getting kind of um alan didn't like the cockiness of the the guys that were doing the uh, the gladiator yeah. for him so alan Tapoya, the hickory apache he was he was taking everything personal i'm used to smack talking because when you're in fights before pre-fights I mean, sure, that's, you do. Talk shit. Yeah, that's what muhammad ali does that's that's part of it. You know, you don't you don't take it personal, but you, you're still going to talk shit if the camera's in front of you because you want to rile up your opponent. You want to get him kind of more pissed at you right. so he doesn't fight as, as, you know, solid-minded. And I was doing the same thing. So, you know, it was all real, but it wasn't like I wasn't taking it personal on their end or my end. Yeah, yeah no, that was, that was, it was, it was great. It was a great episode. And the other show, real quick, and then I want to talk about things you're doing now, was Preppers. And, and like I said, Preppers was based on, you know, it's the end of the world kind of thing, how are you going to survive? And, was that your wife on the show with you? 
it was. Yeah, we yeah. just got married too. Yeah, probably, right. Probably we're only married like a couple months. <laughs> That's funny. So you, the idea. So you know, guys build shelters and they store food and they water. And at your yours was to live off the land, right? And run, you know, figure like an Apache would, I guess, right? Back in the day, and uh, that was your your take. Well, the, the, the yeah, the idea was um, I was going to show them if, if 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 shit went down, you know, why would it go down? So everybody kind of had a different premise. I'm like, I'm like, shit, when things go down, I said, even your neighbor who you love and adore, if they don't have pharmaceutical drugs by day seven, they're just a crazy person. You're not going to recognize. They're going right. to, they're going to have no problem stealing from you and yelling at you and cursing. And I said, you know, we, we only know people as we know them when they're on medications and <laughs> you know how many million people in the United States are on medication. Oh, you take a person's medication and you, you and I have dated the crazy women that if they're not on meds, man, they're crazier and the same thing. So <laughs> I, I told him, I said, I want it to be based on, Hey, you don't, you have limited food supply in your area in your city. You know, you don't want to be in the city too long and you have a bunch of crazies out there and everybody's going to turn into zombies and yeah. do what they need to do. Yeah, and I, and I said, this is how, these are my options. So I gave them different options. Now, they're trying to do a spin, and it's like any other reality show. They're going to they're gonna pick and choose what they want, right. what, what they want to show. So I had all this, uh, the water resource that they didn't show. I had all this 20-year supply of food, or, you know, food that lasts 20 years in storage. They didn't show that. They didn't show my medical supply I had. They didn't show my other alternative places. They just focused on the motorcycle and, and, and hunting little rabbits, you know? Right. And that's all the time they had for So. It was a little disappointing because at the end it looked like I didn't know how to store right. water. Right, yeah, yeah, right. That was my craps around, and I didn't have all these stuff. And I had, you know, I had this this stuff four wheel drive for off roading up in the mountains. I had, you know, the speedy car if I had to get out of the city. I got the motorcycle was one of them. So they pick and choose. You know, they're there for three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they condense it down to fifteen minutes of the show. Yeah. But people that regularly watch that show, you know, they kind of they're kind of they kind of know that the show does that, and they're just every reality show does that. Yeah. Reality shows aren't that yes. real. Years yep. ago, um, before the Ultimate Fighter, this might be fifteen years ago, there was a show that was coming out called The Contender. Do you guys remember hearing about this? I think they yep. did like yeah. one or two seasons. And the original premise, I think Sloan was involved. I think Sugar Ray Leonard, Mark Burnett, who produces um, Survivor. So the original premise of the show was that uh, an old boxer who never quite made it to the top rankings, a guy who's out of his prime, comes back and fights for a title. That was sort of the premise, the Rocky story, you know? So I tried out for this, and um, they liked me. And then um, they uh, uh, sent me a contract, right? You read the contract. It is the size of a fucking encyclopedia. Basically, I'm going to, here's what it yeah. said. We can do anything we want, but kill you. That's essentially what the whole thing came down to, right? So they could edit, you know, do whatever that make you look like an asshole, whatever they want to do. So, um, end of the day, the, the show changes premise and they got some regular, you know, anyway. So it, I actually, they called me twice for that. It was weird. Then I ended up on some kind of list for WABC. And then I got called to be on the show called, um, wife swap. <laughs> Do you ever hear the show, Tom? <laughs> yeah. That, I think that actually started in the UK. Okay. We have, we have like, we have channel four over here and they come up with all sorts right. of Right. So the idea, the idea the premise behind that show off. is that, my wife would go live with another family. I'd live with their wife. And their premise was, for me, is that I was a militaristic, hardcore drill sergeant, essentially. And I worked out my family 24-7. And it was very regimented. And, you know, it was yeah. not who I was. 
and, yeah, and yeah. they were going to pair us up with this hippie family, dope smoking hippies from the mountains, <laughs> you know, who are love and peace, you know. So that's the idea of the price. So it's total culture shock. End of the day, I think they offered like 24 grand, for, 28 grand for the show. And in, in England, you wouldn't even get paid for that. Right. They well, yeah. Well, I think in the US, you have to. But so here's the deal you yeah. get paid that lump sum of money from that the U, the government takes. 50% approximately. Now you're down to 14 grand, right? Yep. And then, you know, you're out there, like we said, you have no idea how they're going to edit it, what's going to go on, blah, yep. blah, blah. Look like a douchebag for $14,000, which is not going to change my life. So I said, uh, no. <laughs> People go, 28, it's yeah. not $28,000. At the end of the day, it's 14 yeah. grand that you pays my mortgage for half a year. You know, big fucking deal. But anyway, that kind of happened. Yeah. Snake, I'm sorry, I'm talking about myself. Um, what what are you promoting? What are you up to? a good story, though. It was. Snake, what are you up to now? What are you promoting so we can uh, let the world know uh, what to look for? Well, I want to take you back off your story, too. So they, uh, there was a show called Dude, You're Screwed. Dude, You're show. Screwed. So That's great. Originally, yeah, originally they were going to call it uh, Catch and Release because you're catching your buddy and releasing him in the middle of nowhere. And oh. he's got to survive and you're tracking him. Yeah. So originally it had a good premise. Um, but again, same thing. Like on the reality, they wanted they wanted a lot of drama. They wanted to right. make fun of your buddy the whole time. Oh, he's lost. He doesn't know what he's doing. Blah blah blah. Um, and then when they changed the name officially to "Dude, You're Screwed," you know, they, they, uh, three of those five of us that did the the pilot for the show up in Colorado in Golden, Colorado. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to have three of you in this one. And for season two, they wanted me to come on season two. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to do a show called "Dude, You're Screwed." <laughs> and I didn't really know how much you edited it down because my other buddy, Tomahawk Thompson, he was on there and Jake Zerwood, the Navy SEAL guy and some other guys. And I said, no, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Oh, come on, man. Come on. You know, we'll, we'll do this and we'll do that. I'm like, no, I said, I said, change the name. Let's start there and then I'll consider it. And they're like, nah, but it seems like about once a year, I get once or twice a year, I get a reality show call. And right. Most of them are in the early stages. So they promise you all this stuff and all this control. And then, when the contract comes in, it's like, all right, you're either not paying me shit or it's not worth it. I'm like, dude, I, this is how much I make a living a month. You got to at least match that period right. before you even talk to me. Because I said, I got to pay bills. I got I got an right. said, no doubt. If you don't want that, I said, you could find a teenager to do it for free. Everybody wants to be on TV nowadays. Right. And not only that, yeah. by the way, you know, your reputation, the time and effort that you've spent over these years to throw it away for a few measly bucks. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And you've established, you know, yep. yourself as, a, as an authority in martial arts and, and, and the the Apache culture and so on and so forth. Gee, then you go on some, you know, ridiculous reality show and now, you, now you're a buffoon, you know. So you, ha- you have to be willing to walk away, right? So Well, nowadays with smart, smartphones and, and go cameras, I mean, you could basically make your own reality show right. now and put it on YouTube and put some commercials on. So. That's, at some point in the near future, that's what I'll be doing. Within the next three to five years, I'll be putting a, an actual show together like that, and it'll be a YouTube type show. Oh, nice. um, so we already have, you know, already have the premise for that. So it's just a matter of making the time to get the uh, the actors in play. Right, right, right. Now, are you touring around doing any seminars still? Just a little bit. So yeah, I still do seminars about every quarter. Right. Um, supposed to be doing one in Mississippi next month, but they just canceled that one. Oof. Um, and then the other one, I just did one at Fort Collins. Um, you know, but I but I traveled all over for seminars just sure. like Hawk Hawk I'm and you have done. Right. Um, it's just a matter of finding the time and finding that you know, like I don't just like to teach people who just want to, you know, like a one time quick seminar just to say they did it. You know, I want people right. that are going to be serious that right. they go to the seminar, you learn, right. you see if you like it, and then you continue training on videos with me. You come to seminars, I see you once a year. You know, you're 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 
passing down the same knowledge to the next generation and you know it it, it, it it's a well representation right. but i just don't want any joe blow from a mixed martial arts school you know right. me for a seminar so so your school is not really like a public school you're training it's more private and you're kind of picking and choosing i'm assuming Correct. I go there once a month and I'll do like a little mini class or seminar. And then uh, uh, once, twice a year, I'll, I'll have a special, you know, well-known martial artist come down and, you know, do a seminar. So right now I'm working on uh, making the next year's theme in July, Savat Box Fonse and La Tacumba. So mm-hmm. basically French uh, cane fighting and Savat uh, kickboxing. So that's the theme that we're going to wow. do. And uh, we got one of, one of the old um, presidents of the Savat Federation. He's a Belgian, down in Belgium. So I'm trying to coordinate with him right now to fly him down. And he doesn't speak a lick of English, so oh. I'll have one of my students do the French translation. But he's yeah. uh, he's old school, he's 77 years old, about 10 tackles age. And yeah. he still gets up there and does jumping jumping kicks and wow. bringing cane strikes to the head. And the, the dude's the Superman. Nah, that's funny. You know, because my school is public school, so it's a completely different animal. And uh, I get all different types calling in at one, you know, so because, you know, you got a big place and a big overhead and that's kind of where the, the business is. Um, it's, it can be a challenge because there are certain individuals um, that you just would rather not have be there. <laughs> but you need to pay Uncle Sam and the bills and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there's a fine. In fact, there's a new guy who just signed up and he's already proven himself to be a pain in the ass. So I'm, um, I'm waiting tonight to see. What he has to say about, like, he was in, went to a, the traditional USA boxing class, which is run like a traditional boxing gym in any city in the country, which is a little more loosely run, a little bit more chaotic than how I run the kickboxing boxing class. Same people can go, but it's a different structure. So he did a lot of heavy bag work and stuff, and I just think he wasn't pleased because he, like, what, are you going to hold pads for me for the whole class? Well, that's what's called a private lesson, motherfucker. <laughs> so you got yeah. so, so I'm waiting for him to say something. Now, if he does... Um, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm just going to refund your money. You need to go somewhere else. It, it, we're not a, we're not a love connection. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking at. We'll see. But I envy those of you guys who just kind of, kind of can do it more, uh, you know, choose. I know Lack does it in, in the UK. It's a little bit more choosy, but I can't be. You know, I have to let people in. And then there's always money issues. And uh, I'm just complaining. But that's it. All right, so, Snake, <laughs> so people can find you. At, there might be other ones. A snakeblocker.com. Um, uh, you're on Facebook. You're on every bit of social media, right? Yeah, the uh, the thing with the easiest way to find me is uh, just uh, information anyways, the blockeracademy.com. I haven't really updated the snakeblocker.com in a few years. Okay. And then uh, on Facebook, just, just type in snakeblocker or blocker academy right. martial arts. I'm also on LinkedIn. So. You know, usually people are either on Facebook, LinkedIn, or they can always uh, email me at blockeracademy uh, at yahoo.com. That's another option. Gotcha. And and you got he's got tons of DVDs. Snake was kind of years ago to send me a couple of his, his DVDs, and I bought some from Hawk, I forget. And then he sent me these manuals, and they were so full of notes and terrific and a great reference. So I highly recommend this guy for martial arts or for anything you're looking for. For Hollywood, the guy's a, a, a real uh, interesting uh, Dude and uh, Snake, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. We had some technical issues earlier, but we got through it, and you're welcome to come on anytime. And if you're ever at the East Coast or I'm out your way, uh, let's get together. We haven't seen each other in a number of years. So, um, uh, that, you know, like. Yeah, I was going to say, Jim, I still want to invite you down to my studio because I want you to check it out. And, oh, I'd love to. You know, man, it's kind of the, the, 
you know, it, it's where you just go there. You have fun. We have a shooting range right outside that's, that oh, we have that's access great. to. And they've got target stuff out there for a short range, a long range. We can do, um, like I said, we have my little van cave up there. I've got the mokchong upstairs, the boxing ring downstairs. Wow. We've got the heavy bags, the upper cup bags. So it's pretty much, you know, a candy store for people like you and I. Right, a <laughs> candy store. That's right. All right, Snake. Hey, thank you so much. Let me clear some business. Tom, do you have anything to promote? JKDLondon.com. RapidArnice.com. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's all on, all on there. All right. You, you know them. I know them. I know these guys well. More than I, I would have probably. But anyway. Right, if you uh, <laughs> want to find us, HamiltonRadio.net. Saturday night, 9 p.m. UK, 9 p.m. Uh, New York time. Uh, uh, Spreaker, uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Sonos. Uh, SoundCloud, Amazon Alexa, and coming soon is Stitcher. Um, we got a ton of stuff. Uh, Tom, who's on next week? I forget. Oh, Dieter? Uh, Dieter's on for the first half of the show, and yeah. then um, uh, working on someone for the second half. Now we're just kid bullshit. Yeah, Dieter and his fighters. Dieter's well, in a fight. So uh, Dieter, a talented guy from Belgium, has got a bunch of fighters are competing all the time. But anyway, um, thanks for listening. Uh, you're listening to Primal Radio. Uh, peace out, everybody. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.